I miss the oh my god, the banging has begun. I miss the the music that we did for the trial so much for the Glenn Maxwell trial, and I was like singing it in my head on the way here. I was like. Yeah, fuck yeah, I know. First of all, yes, I know because Young Chomsky made it. Why don't you? Oh, that's a real question. Yeah, I I was more talking on the episodes rather than listening to them. But you know, maybe that's the difference between me and you. No, I was listening to the music that he made when he sent it to us. I listen all the music he makes, so I would say actually most of Young Chompsy's other music is in my head. You just forgot because you forget everything. Yes. In the justice system of New York. I was going to try to do a Law and Order poly, but I can't remember how. I haven't watched an episode of Law and Order in many years. So. Well, I know that part, oh. but what, you know, they say like in the, in the justice in system. In the New York justice system. The New York system. justice system. Sexually based offenses oh. are considered especially heinous crimes. Oh, wait. Yes. Okay. Well, of course it's SVU. In the, in the New York justice system, unethical non-monogamy is considered especially heinous. In the Bushwick justice system, unethical non-monogamy is, is considered especially heinous crime. We have assembled a team of blue-haired investigators to go from every... I don't, I don't know what kind of places those people hang out at. Bar. I gotta ask my primary. What's up? With Wait, that? is that what they call... Yeah, I know there's. I don't know what they call their secondary partners, but I don't think they would call them secondary. That feels very dehumanizing. My primary. Yeah, I am your primary. I am your primary. It is time to make love (laughs) with you. Hello, everyone. Hello, my name is Primary Brace. Today is our scheduled time to have sex. (laughs) I'm Liz. My secondary, (laughs) and of course, our tertiary. No, Wait, you can't rude. be your own primary. No, my uh, my primary, your secondary, my primary. You called him tertiary. You know, no, but that sounded mean, so I was retracting that. My tertiary is River and, of course, uh, Donut and famously Barf Bag. Well, that's more like. Okay. We are joined by producer Young Chomsky, and this is True Anon. And this is True Anon, and we are the world's first polycule-based podcast we all live in one big bed um and one big one small apartment like the old people on uh willy wonka one big bed one small apartment one great motherfucking podcast that's (laughs) That's the new (laughs) tagline i wonder listen i know that some of you out there listen to podcasts that aren't ours i would say that that I find that to be a violation Mm. i'm not gonna like tell you what to do i'm just saying for me personally it, it doesn't feel good i agree uh, are there any podcasts out there with just fully? I'm not talking about like a husband wife duo, whatever. Like a polypod. Like I'm saying, like three plus people who are mm. poly it, together. Well, that has to exist, right? There's Chapo. There's probably there's Chapo. Yeah, there has to be. I guess a poly podcast that, where that's the case. Then probably. I don't want to look into it. A non poly based podcast where the hosts are all poly together. I would like to together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd like to hear that. Kind of like a real world situation. I would like. That's kind of the Bachelor is sort of poly. 
Kind stuff. of, but not really, because they're all vying to be one. It's not like everyone's agreeing to Polly. It's like Mormon style Polly. Mm. You know what I mean? Where like you have one a patriarch, and then... there's got to be a Polly TLC show. I mean, there has to right? be. Yeah, I feel like there there's a TLC show for every sort of weird. I came up with a good American idea. character. Oh yeah, has this been done in like an H- HGTV show where like you instead of rehabbing houses, you rehab old castles in mm. Europe because they're pretty cheap because they're too much money to heat. That would be a good. Pitch. That's a terrible pitch. That would be a good pitch. I don't think it would get made. But you know what? <laughs> but that was not really my thing. I found it a little satanic. Yeah, I'm more into Brooklyn-based media, such as podcasts. <laughs> Bushwick media. Bushwick-based sort of media things like podcasts, whatever. Hyperpop, I heard that for the first time. I don't know what like that is. Like last year. It's crazy. It's it not super fast? It's just, it's shit. It's shit. It's like all it's all shit. I don't know what anything is anymore. Thin Lizzy is a great band. You said that line just you've said that so many times. On the I podcast. love all of it's good from Just cut it. Just so he's saying Lizzy is a good is Lizzy is good. There you go. But not thin. Interesting the self view you got going on there. I Careful. think you're very thin. Careful. I think you're too thin. We have with us today a friend of ours. A friend. We're doing friends now? I don't know. Yeah, he's our friend. He's been on the show a couple times. I feel like that's a friend. A friend does make. I've hung out with them outside the podcast before. There you go. We're friends. There you go. Uh, I've loaned him, well, he's loaned me a, a substantial amount of money, <laughs> I would say. I would say it was only <laughs> Which he took from other people. Which he, of course, borrowed from others. Yeah. yeah. But it's getting, it all comes out in the wash. Yeah. We have Jacob Silverman with us here today. Yeah, to talk about the trial of Sam Jailman Jail, a.k.a. Sam Bankman fried who's on trial right now. <laughs> well, without further ado, you know what? Let's push that button and let's hear from the silver man himself. Coins and coinets to another episode of Krypton, sponsored by Qatar Coin on the Doji Network. I'm your host, CD, otherwise known as AKA Coin Dexter, reporting live from the jungles of El Salvador. We tried to get my arch enemy, Hitler, for this podcast, but we had to settle for the second worst enemy to cryptocurrency. That would be Jacob Silverman. Co-author of Easy Money and host of the Naked Emperor podcast on CBC. Uh, I have to use a voice modulator now as I would have collapsed in a fit of coughing. But a coffin is what I would like to put you in for your slander against Web3 type based digital uh, unregulated distributed styles of money fiat. Welcome to the show, <laughs> pig. Thank you. I'm here to answer for my crimes. <laughs> yes, we're putting we're putting Jacob on trial. Yes, today. <laughs> uh, Jacob Silverman, how you doing? You're back again. Uh, it's great to be here. It's a real pleasure. Thank you. He brought us cookies. He did. He brought us cookies. I had one, and I feel fucking jacked. You jacked? Yeah, on sugar. Okay. Wait, does that not work that it's way? It's kind of more of like a. I feel hopped up. You're hopped up on yeah, sugar. Yeah, I'm all hoppy. 
I feel crazy. <laughs> it's a lemon drop. Um, Jacob, you're here because you are covering the Sam Bankman Freed trial, which I got to say, seeing you tweet about it, reading some of your pieces, I was getting a little nostalgic. Oh, yeah. I was starting to really miss it. We, I can feel those halls, the metal detectors. Do you want me to just say the, the federal weird crimes elevators. you've done on here and so we can get you back in court? <laughs> <laughs> I do miss it. I have to ask before we start, just straight off the bat, how are the U.S. Marshals and do they say anything about me? I'll have to ask them about you in particular, <laughs> but they, these guys seem great as usual. You know, they're all a little bored and just sort of yeah. like very outer borough dudes. Yeah. Um, have kind of seen it all. And yeah, it's, it's hard not to feel some I don't know, affection towards them because they're just... They're, they're kind of cartoon characters. Yeah, they're just kind of dudes doing their jobs and... They're the softer side of law enforcement, <laughs> I guess. Let me ask you this. Oh, doughier and, side. And, and this, sure. is, yeah. this is, I mean, there's a lot of kind of sad stuff we'll be covering today. Betrayal, heartbreak, love, lost, parents. Polycules. Polycules. In the basement of the uh, courthouse, there was a sort of hidden gem of New York foodie eatery. That restaurant was known as Cafe Lorenzo. And from what my sources at Eater tell me. <laughs> Grub Street. Grub Street. I'm trying to think of other food blogs. I think those are the only ones. Eater and Grub Street tell me that that hidden gem is no longer existing. So have you been to the basement and what have you eaten? I have not been to the basement. <gasps> and now I feel like I really should have done you know, the feet on the ground shoe leather reporting that this requires. Yes. We liked going down there. Well, one, not well, not for the food, um, but because of the, the little scuttlebutt that you'd get from all the reporters sitting down there having their coffees and very, you know, suspect blueberry muffins. <laughs> yeah, I've seen some people go to the cafeteria on the eighth floor, which is mm. sort of decent, but more like functional than charming or anything sure. like that. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't, I don't know if I would call Cafe Lorenzo charming. But it wasn't <laughs> functional. Yeah. On the scale, I had to go somewhere. Well, the overflow room, so there, if you arrive early, like a, if you arrive at seven, maybe you might get into the courtroom, but I admit I can't get there that early. So I've been in the overflow room mostly. And that that is sort of where some the gossip between reporters oh, yeah. and... Because they're a little loosey-goosey in there, and you can kind of like, you know, walk around, chat everyone up, a little water cooler talk. Yeah. What is the media scene like there? Well, I mean, it's probably annoying and insidery to some people, but it's been kind of fun to to talk to folks and like, you know, a lot of people who you just know via Twitter. And and to be honest, also, there are things happening in the the case that sometimes are confusing or you're still trying to understand. Mm. So there's that like, hey— how many yeah. billion did they steal? But that's different from the other eight billion that they were talking about. <laughs> that kind of thing. Um, but it's you know it's pretty kind of convivial. There are probably a few dozen reporters. It's not the madhouse that I I don't know for whatever reason expected. Mm. Um, there are cameras outside on the street, and there are some like CNBC and other TV types who come in, watch some of it, and then go out and do a, a video report. There's a definite contrast between sort of the people who write and people who appear on camera <laughs> yeah. uh, and how we look. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I'd say, like, people are definitely also looking for angles. Like, what am I going to write? There's a sort of some cynicism, like, we're all going to write the same thing. Sure. But, you know, I think there's been good coverage so far. Um, it's, it's probably pretty good for readers or people who want to, like, obsessively follow this stuff. Yeah. We should talk a little bit about the trial right off the bat 
for our listeners who aren't following it very closely and just say, you know, Sam Bankman-Fried, we've talked about it before. I think the easiest way to say it is what's being alleged is that Sam and his company FTX, which everyone probably remembers from Super Bowl commercials, um, was charged with basically taking customer funds that customers had deposited at FTX crypto exchange to buy crypto uh, and kind of giving it to their research wing, Alameda Research, uh, and then using that money to basically make insane bets and then siphon some of it off to political donations and what seems to be real estate and parents' salaries. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They were breaking off a piece here and there. A lot of pieces. Yeah, and then at some point the customers said, well, I want my money back, and they were like, we don't have it. Yeah, so that's the basic story, and that's sort of the central crime here really is that they funneled eight plus billion dollars. There's a few different ways to define it, but in the end, the whole was like eight to ten billion dollars uh, of customer funds from FTX. So, if pe- the people, the everyday people mostly, but also some hedge funds and stuff like that, who deposit dollars on FTX or crypto and then expected to be able to withdraw those dollars later. The, the main thing to know is that those FTX customer funds were supposed to be sacrosanct, you know, segregated. You don't touch them. You just keep them in the bank. Instead, they were kind of like kept in this one bank account that Alameda, the hedge fund, used. Sam owned both companies. And then there was also in their internal system, um, Alameda could basically had an unlimited line of credit to withdraw money from FTX, directly from the customers, pretty much. They had, they had something like a backdoor, right? Yeah, and that, that they, I think they might get into in more detail in this coming week. But, uh, you know, in the trial this past week, Gary Wong, who helped uh, supposedly code that back door. He was the CTO, a co-founder. He was the only one who actually owned a piece of Alameda besides Sam. Uh, Sam, Sorry, uh, so someone's been giving me grief lately for calling him Sam or SBF, like it's too familiar. Which no I'm way. Like, Sam is fine. It's demuted. See, here's the thing. I'm going to fucking call him Sammy, Sammy loser face moron. Well, we, ca- we call him, what do we call him? Sam Jail. Sam Jailman Jail. Sam Jailman Jail. <laughs> yeah. But here, so I want to pause no right here and do a little style guide. We, I, I think we could all agree that it's it's gauche and uh, whack to call him a kid and a child yes. because he's uh, almost too old to be drafted. But uh, it's okay to call him Sam because that's a disrespectful thing. Works because for me. to call somebody that you have you have no uh, real personable familiarity with by their first name is in many cultures a sign of disrespect. So that works for me. Sam and works. shorter than Bankman Freed. I don't want to do Bankman Freed. Plus, call a guy. Jill. Yeah, call a guy by the last name and it's a hyphen. We're not dealing with that. So Sam anyway, is fine. All right, thank you. And I think yeah. I've, I've proven my skeptical take on this. On I like this the guy. idea that some that critics were like, "You should call him Samuel." So, <laughs> <laughs> um, we've already had testimony basically saying that the central charges are true, that, that Sam authorized all this stuff. Uh, Alameda had special fee- special privileges on FTX. They lied about those special privileges in tweets to investors, to customers, everyone. That's fraud, basically. Um, we had testimony from uh, venture capitalists who... who <laughs> it's just funny because this guy is like a crypto bro venture capitalist, but he comes in a little more soft-spoken and is like... I've been lied to by Sam Bankman-Fried. <laughs> um, oh, no. He was so, almost sympathetic. So scandalized. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> you know, there's already been a lot of sort of a proof, or at least what might count as proof in a legal sense, that 
this stuff happened that it was in the actual code, some of the, like, the privileged access, for example, mm-hmm. to customer funds. They showed some of the code, and they had um, Gary Wong, the CTO, the only other person who owned a piece of Alameda, uh, testify to this. And, and he, you know, one of the first questions was, did you commit financial crimes while working at FTX? And he said yes. And it was very methodical as a prosecution is supposed to do, leading him through it all. And um, so already you have one of the three uh, executives who have already pled guilty and agreed to cooperate has already testified and, and been pretty damning. Yeah, my question is, so like, all, like, like you said, several executives have already pled guilty and turned state's evidence mm-hmm. against, uh, against their old friend, Sam Bankman-Fried. And which is, we're coming to the first true and on tip of if you're on trial, immediately rat. Yeah. You just got a rat. You got yeah. it for financial crimes, you're ratting. Flip I'm not the script, save your ass. It's, it's morally suspect. In sure. fact, you shouldn't do it. But here's the thing. You should do you it. You already did the crime. You're already a criminal. You're a bad guy and they're going to rat on you. Yeah. That's so you're going to, I'm not saying it's you should. It's a race should. to rat. I'm not saying you should, but what it is, is it is a race to rat. You're yeah. correct. They've had a ton of cooperation, too. From, I mean, we have the three main people of Gary Wong, uh, Caroline Ellison, and uh, Nishat Singh. There was a fourth, Ryan Salem, pleaded guilty but isn't cooperating. But then you have all these other people from FTX who uh, are, are testifying or gave evidence. Or There's one guy, Adam Yadidia, who was testifying under an immunity agreement. He hasn't pled guilty to anything. Um, he was a pretty good witness and a close friend of Sam. I mean, all these people were also people who... A lot of them looked up to Sam or really yeah. admired him. They were close with him from college. Um, you know, as much as I think effective altruism is kind of bullshit, you can sense in some of these people there was kind of an authentic idealism or a sense of betrayal at least that, mm-hmm. like, they thought they were somehow doing good even if they were just making a casino in the, in the Bahamas. Um, so there's, like, you know, there's a lot of emotion and anger among sure. these people. So that, I think, also motivates the desire to cooperate. Is is our Ellison and Wong and everybody facing jail time themselves? Like, they like guilty, but they might, yeah. they might um, be in the it news could now. Be, I mean, uh, the, the, the prosecution tries to preempt the idea, like, that these people are rats or, or might be looked askance at by the jury by saying, like, and you're here as part of a cooperation agreement, you're hoping for less jail time, that kind of thing, so that when the defense cross-examines and they say the same thing, it, d- it doesn't really look so bad. I mean, yeah. everyone knows the pretense. Uh, Gary Wong said, ideally, I'd like to have no jail time. Um, it's possible same. some of these people might go to jail for a few years, um, but I do really think that you know, there's no guarantee. Even the prosecution is not going to say to the judge, please give them less jail time. They're just going to simply kind of list or enumerate the, the items of their cooperation. And, but we know how this works. And so it might end up being something like time served or, or, mm. um, or a brief, you know, couple of years. Let's talk a little bit about the defense because how I feel like the case, it, I mean, at least, you know, look, we're all critics in here of crypto and SPF, SAM, and FTX, and everything that's been going on, uh, the kind of madness of the crypto explosion of the past, like, three, four years um, in particular. But so the the case, but for the from the prosecution's point of view, seems, like, very straightforward because, it you know, like you kind of lay out, it is, like, textbook fraud. There's all this kind of confusing stuff about crypto and certain kind of specifics about that that sort of technology, but it's at bottom, like just textbook fraud. Um, so what is the kind of defense of Sam going to look like, do you think? Or how has it kind of shaped up to be? Well, so originally they they were 
they were sort of leaning towards making what's called a uh, advice of counsel defense, which you know I, I, I'm just going to say once I am not a lawyer, but um, basically means you know I had bad lawyers, which um, but then they didn't. Wait, what? They were going to argue that he's had just bad. He's had yeah, bad lawyers, which includes so. his dad. Um, among those uh, people, provide, lawyers wow. providing counsel. Wow. But the body keeps the score. <laughs> <laughs> it's an, sort of an official type of defense, but then they never yeah. actually invoked it. And the judge basically, I think it was from the prosecution, there was a motion, but I think it was basically like there were some limitations on how much he could kind of invoke that kind of defense without actually doing it. Uh-huh. Um, but, uh, you know, so far... It's not really clear what they intend to do. I mean, there there were some intimations earlier on. Yeah, this is going to be about he th- he thought he did nothing wrong. He was acting in good faith. Um, things were messy. Kind of mistakes mm. were made almost. But I don't see how they can possibly get away with that before, much less after these first few witnesses. The cross-examinations have been really weak. There have been no defense witnesses. Sure. And it's not clear who they might call. Uh, they're kind of... Um, There's no chance he's going to... I don't know. I mean... The expert witnesses w- were denied, basically, I think, by the judge. Sam, we don't know if he's going to testify. He has the option. The judges, of course, said you have the option no matter what your lawyers say. Uh, I think his lawyers probably don't want him to, but he is such a verbal guy. Even yeah. though he's a, a very awkward, of course. But And we saw that month between the company collapsing and his arrest where he was on social media and on Substack and at the New York Times thing remotely. And in the DMs. He would not shut... Yeah, I would, the DMs, I would yeah. frankly I say he would not... I was communicating with him a little bit. Yeah, he would not shut the fuck up. Yeah, and so... Yeah. That's, that worked... I mean, and we can talk about the media and stuff, but that worked well for him on his way up, being very talkative and available, but certainly has not helped him on the way down. I could imagine him insisting on testifying, though, just because of the type of person he seems to be, but... Um, yeah, the defense has been really bad. Uh, it's been almost funny, like speaking of sort of camaraderie in the overflow room, like there's been laughter and just like sure. yeah. we've been a little stunned. Um, so the the main lawyer is this guy Cohen. He gives the opening statement and it's sort of like, hey, my client didn't really mean any of this or like, you know, yeah. kind of just, you know, this has been a tragic series of errors. Um, and we're going to explain oh, whoopsies. it. Yeah, kind of a big whoopsies. The Nuremberg defense. Mm-hmm. Um, famously so, yes. yeah. And then, but most of the cross-examination so far has been this guy, uh, Christian Everdale. Is that his yeah. name? Right? Oh, yeah. we, we're familiar with old Christian. Yeah, Christian <laughs> Everdale, for our listeners who might not remember or weren't our listeners back then, in which case, go back in the archive and listen, bitch, um, was one of Ghislaine Maxwell's lawyers mm-hmm. during the Ghislaine Maxwell trial that we covered. And he was actually, I would say, a, a in the middle of the road there. He was fairly sharp. Yeah, we thought he was one of the better lawyers yeah, of yeah, hers. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because we had old Bobby. Well, I would say Bobby is the top. Oh, Sternum, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. who was quite a character. Uh-huh. I mean, Cruella just DeVille unbelievable. Type. Beautiful. Yeah, like... If- Yes. Not physically, but... A far-side woman, if I've ever seen one. A far-sidian. Yes. Yeah. Um, And then Christian was maybe, I think, second to that one. Yes. And he was kind of... He had a certain boyish charm. I hate saying that, but it's true, Mm -hmm. uh, in the courtroom. He sounds youthful. I I admit the feed isn't very good in the... Yeah, it's not great in there. ...in the overflow room. And mostly they've had it focused, actually, usefully on the witness and on the the evidence screen where they, like, publish exhibits. So that's kind of what we need to see. So I haven't... I admit I haven't seen a lot of Sam. I've talked to people, been looking at him, but it's it's kind of what you expect. He, he, you know, you can Sweat see him pants, a lot on a computer. Dorito stains. I don't, what's that? Sweatpants, Dorito stains. I mean, you know, he is wearing a suit. I heard he got a haircut from a fellow inmate. He definitely got a haircut and looks 
Uh, wow. I think it was from an inmate. Well, my, my jail sources tell me that he has now achieved the rank of shot caller in the Aryan Brotherhood, <laughs> which I found spectacular. But yeah, I can oh – God, I would love to just be like cutting his motherfucking hair in there. <laughs> I would, I would, I would I immediately how... hook up with SBF in prison because he's like some guy that you could probably get money for your commissary from. Not yeah. money though, Bitcoin. Bitcoin, yeah. No but fiat commissary should take exchanged. Bitcoin. But so he hasn't been doing very well ever. Oh yes, so he's been leading the cross examination. It's been very weird. I mean, again, like I haven't spent a lot of time covering trials, but you can tell this guy's not doing so hot. Mm. Um, and he, yeah, as you said, he has a you know he has one of these sort of A list pedigrees for a, a big time defense lawyer. Um, but his his cross examinations of several witnesses so far have basically been recapitulating things we already know. It's like, so you worked at FTX, is that correct? And all these statements Classic. followed by "Is that correct?" Which are one, he's not—he's just asking these kind of yes or no questions. But two, it, it, the formulations are really annoying, and it yes. doesn't—and it's just repeating shit that you already know. And so the judges admonished him a few times, and there was one time I think on Thursday last week where the judge straight up just says, like, interrupts him and says, "Sidebar now," kind mm. of thing. And there was this like, "Ooh, he's going to the principal." Um, it is equivalent, yeah. yeah. And there have been many objections to the forms of his questions because I think basically he's just asking these – he's just making these statements and then doing the is that correct. And you're not <laughs> – he's not really getting anywhere. Like he's not undermining the, the answers or narrative told by the prosecution and he's pissing off the judge. The judge has started saying sustained before there's even an objection sometimes. Like there, there were a f- couple of those on Friday. So like he would like – like Everdell would ask a question and before the, the prosecution could even object, the judge would just say sustained? Yeah, he, with a heavy sigh, like sustained. Um, Interesting. Interesting. So the, the judge is this guy, Lewis Kaplan, who is a, a – Top judge, and especially in securities cases, he, he's kind of a classic judge in the sense like I'm sovereign. This is my courtroom. Don't fuck with me. I'm. Ve- uh, he also makes mm. some wisecracks. Mm. You know, he quotes Learned Hand. Uh, he's like I'm not a fan of judges. Yeah, he's like 79 years old. He is worth noting, like the judge that put Stephen Donziger on, on trial, or like mm. was yeah, behind that whole yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like this is a an intense or sort of serious guy. Like he runs the courtroom how he wants and. He is certainly, I mean, in in the pretrial hearings over the summer, he showed some sympathy for Cohen, the lead lawyer. He just said something like, you're a good lawyer. I know you have a tough job here because your client's a crazy man who acts recklessly. Um, but now he's the judge is certainly very impatient and annoyed with Everdale because Everdale is f- simply failing to ask good or proper questions and not really advancing the, the testimony mm. at all, you know? Yeah, something something that I learned from our brief stint as courtroom, not so brief stint as courtroom reporters, is that like, you really – I would say a big part of your job as a lawyer, I, uh, I would – like a, maybe even a majority part of your job as a lawyer is just making sure the judge likes you. Yeah. Like that's really like sucking up to them because they – boy, they really run those things. Like yeah. A little yeah. They maybe are they're sovereign. playing the long game, trying to lay down some, some – uh, I don't know some ba- some bad lawyering for on appeals. Well, some people are joking that actually <laughs> this is the ba- advice of counsel. That's defense. what I'm saying. It's like he's acting yeah. it out right now, exactly. Yeah, yeah. which I thought was odd. pretty funny. He's definitely not a, a moron, that guy. And his parents are in the audience, you know. Which they're group, there, yeah. SPFs. And they're writing down notes and stuff. And they're oh, both lawyers. And they're just doodling. Yeah, they might be planning their own escape. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> it's been a little odd so far. Um, I mean, I got to say, the prosecution, like, they're not. 
you know, they don't blow you away with rhetoric or charisma or anything, but they're doing a, a good job. Like mm. they guide, I mean, they're their witnesses, of course, and they worked with them, but they just guide the witness through these questions, building the case and not d- going too deep into the technical aspects or sure. into the crypto, but basically saying, you know, they've shown us a little bit of code, but not too much, but enough to say like, here it is. I wrote this, you know, this is Gary Wong talking. Sam told me to write this. Yeah. And this is... We lied about that, and then we lied about it. Um, You know, stuff like that. Um, And really progressing through the materials and these different exhibits in a way where, at least from my perspective, it's pretty easy to put together. I mean, I do wonder about the jurors because, look, they don't want to be there. This shit's boring. Probably a lot of them don't have any idea who SBF is. Well, um, if the defense did their job correctly, yeah, they, they wouldn't. Yeah, there were people who I, I have to I have to admit I I don't remember specifically who some of these people were cut, but there was like I think there's a Solomon Brothers employee, former one on the jury, like a retired guy. There were there was someone who who said, "Oh, my wife uh, works for a firm that's doing FTX bankruptcy work, not Sullivan and Cromwell, but something else." Um, so I too. you know, yeah. it's New York, so eventually people have connections to like law or finance or yeah, something. Yeah, you think though that you want to get those guys out of there? Yeah, yeah. there's been some of that, but um, you know, some of the things that kind of hit us obsessive observers as important. I'm not always sure how the jury yeah. sees that, but like, you know, we, I should have said this at the beginning. You know, there's seven basic charges of various types of of securities fraud, commodities fraud, conspiracy. To commit those things, a wire fraud, and. You know, we've already seen all these examples of do- saying one thing and doing another, and, and that being presented to investors, to customers, because he's accused of defrauding both. So, uh, I mean, I think any decent jury would be able to kind of, you know, follow that along and put that together. I mean, but we've got like four or five more weeks. Yeah. It's funny. You know, I was trying to think on my way here. I was kind of like thinking through some of the like possible defenses that could be offered. And it seems like it all has to hinge on he just didn't know. Yeah. Or he, he thought that. that it would be, it would go different <laughs> kind of. Yeah. Like, and it's funny because I think that in some of the kind of, I mean, charm offensive, basically, that was in the media in anticipation of this trial, on like basically on behalf of Sam, yeah. whether it was like through his own sources that he was working, I call him, I mean, through his own journalists that he was acting as a source to at the New York Times. There's been a couple of pieces that were, I think, a bit friendlier than probably should have been. There was one piece in The New Yorker where I was like pretty shocked at some yeah. of the ways yeah. in which the author was... Um, I mean, I mean, at one point, literally said, I think, uh, you know, that um, FTX, you know, that 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 customers should have anticipated that FTX could use their their funds um, for other investments in the ways that banks do. Yeah. As if when it's a complete, you can't compare the two. FTX is not a bank. I mean, for, and that's just right off the bat. And in addition to all the other things, where that that and kind of analogy they wouldn't do that. Yeah, yes. and that it, that it totally <laughs> Sam falls tweeted, apart. We do not invest client funds. I think he then deleted it. But <laughs> I mean, there were many times they said things like they played clips from interviews. Uh, I'm sorry to interrupt, but they, oh, they played clips from interviews with Bloomberg. Not even like the most notorious. Yeah, that's yeah. got to be coming, right? Yeah, that one is going to come. The Ponzi scheme one, I think, the black box Ponzi scheme. Yeah, but, and they played another clip from. The interview with, uh, I think it's a Blockworks guy, and he says, like, I- I've heard this one before, too, where he, Sam is talking about, like, why they called it Alameda Research, because he's like, you can't call it, like, Shitcoin Traders Limited or something like that. 
And they called it Alameda Research to disguise the company uh, when banking. They still had to still set up other shell accounts. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, or, they had a really complex web of shell. Yeah, companies. I mean, uh, this is one thing that certainly the people sympathetic to Sam, like Michael Lewis, I think miss is that there were more than 140 FTX related companies, and mm-hmm. of course, some of that was because they grew really big and they ha- they acquired companies all over the world, but they also had. Uh, these shell companies that were purely to move money around or make investments. Um, and we know very well, this has already been mentioned in court, but people knew this uh, through the bankruptcy. There was this thing called North Dimension. So they, they couldn't bank with Silvergate, which is like a, a very crypto-friendly bank in, mm-hmm. San, in the Southern California, I believe, San Diego, that went bust uh, last year. Yeah, And uh, deeply important to kind of to crypto and to moving around money a little quietly among the crypto <laughs> companies. Um <laughs> But they even rejected Alameda. And then what they finally did was they set up this fake comp- f- fake electronics retailer with a website that said, like, oh, we ship. In Berkeley. Yeah. Like, not called by, North not Dimension. Far from my own um, I believe the company might have been registered in, uh, in Washington State, but I guess something's confused. Um, but they did have offices in Berkeley at, at the time. Yeah. It was a good, easy commute for me. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and. They banked uh, at Silvergate under this North Dimension shell company, which is totally fake. I mean, that's that's fraud. You're lying to the bank even. Supposedly, Silvergate didn't know. Maybe they did. But even if you don't know, it doesn't make it not fraud. Yeah, <laughs> it's still <yeah>. fraud. <laughs> um, that's, I mean, there's a lot of that, too. Another yeah. another uh, apparent defense that they want to give that the prosecution is seeking to limit, though, I don't know. I, I don't even think this is that effective, is that Sam, yeah, sure, Sam stole money, uh, allegedly, and took and made all these investments that he wasn't allowed to. Uh, through Alameda and other shell companies, but hey, a couple of those investments did well. Um, the Max. one, the one that people talk about is Anthropic, which is this AI company. He gave them, I believe, four hundred million dollars, yeah. and now it's being invested in like crazy. By Amazon's promising up to a couple billion, I believe, and now Google's coming in yeah. with, with billions. So it's just drowning in money, and that investment. Well, it's drowning in valuation. There you go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> a lot of that money hasn't been sent yet. The Amazon investment is supposed yeah. to be over time. All the, all of those caveats and like this could all pop in a year or two. But even still, that's not a defense to fraud. No, yeah. and it's like yeah. as someone told me today, like yeah, I committed fraud, but the market saved a lucky market saved me or whatever. That mm-hmm. that's not a that's not a defense either. Like you still yeah. weren't allowed to make those investments. Just like the charitable donations, like you you stole people's money to make those charitable donations. In fact, I think that's what happened with uh, Martin Shkreli, or yes, however you say his name. I can point. never like, say it right. He like, paid back his investors, yeah, but because he still he ma- committed the fraud. So yeah. just because like the market swings and one of your investments might be able, they might be able to sell it for a few billion, possibly. Um, they're not. They're still not in a great position. There's still a lot of money to be clawed back, and like you still did the crime. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's funny because I feel like so much of that, the kind of I don't know, the mystique of all of this hinges on. Apparently how this man, Sam, has charmed all of these people. I don't understand this at all because I find him completely and totally revolting. I think he's um, cute. <laughs> on, like, so many different levels. Mm-hmm. I find him, like, I want to just push him into the Hudson off a very, very tall bridge, <laughs> we'll say. Interesting. I don't know where I was very, going with that. Very. However, 
Um, many people and many people who were presumably intelligent up until we saw uh, their assessment of Sam uh, in the press seem to really be charmed by this guy. And one of those is Michael Lewis. Now, he came out with a new book about FTX and Sam called Going Infinite, which uh, the title alone makes me want to blow my it's fucking so brains funny. out. It sounds exactly like a Hulu limited series. Totally. It does. Well, I do believe he sold the rights to the book before Prior writing the book. Before a word was even written. <laughs> yep. Talk about going infinite. Uh, not talk about a businessman, though. Yeah. But um, you reviewed that book for Graydon Carter's Airmail, which, fun fact, we were told were too political to be featured in. Mm-hmm. Really? Um, yeah, that's a little lore for the lore heads out there. <laughs> However, filing that away, you did not like this book. No, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and there is something to be said with, when you review a book by like a major writer like this. You don't really have to hold back. Like, yeah, if this were a first-time writer, you might feel a little well. Guilt, if, but for people who don't know, who is Michael Lewis? Sure, he's basically America's preeminent like popular nonfiction chronicler yeah. of especially like plucky underdog stories that might be. Uh, set in the world of business or finance. Mm-hmm. Um, he wrote The Big Short, Moneyball, Flash Boys, uh, The Blind Side, yeah. which uh, you know has been a subject of controversy lately too. Um, and a subject of some controversial comments by Michael yeah, Lewis. Yeah, he's, he's not helped. I mean, he, he – so basically with that story, the, the football player at the heart of it who was adopted by a white couple, he's, he realized years later, oh, they didn't actually adopt me. They had a conservatorship. They probably took a lot of money that was owed to him. And among other things, recently, Lewis has said, oh, he's getting a lesson in Hollywood accounting. And he also basically said he has a head injury and is an angry black man now. Mm. You know, this happens to football players. They get head injuries and they get angry. Yeah, he was like, he has CTE. Yeah. Um, so the the kind of arrogance has really been showing, uh, um, you know, it's not a humble book. It, but so a little bit of... Um, foregrounding this, Michael Lewis met Sam and was one of these people who was apparently charmed. I also don't understand why necessarily. <laughs> he liked that the infinite part of the title is because Sam said he he thought he needed infinite money to do what he wanted to do and then he could get infinite money. You know, yeah, that seems like right off the bat that should be a red flag. Well, I understand <laughs> that though because sometimes I think about the things that I want to do. I'm like, dude, I need infinite money to do this. <laughs> Well, part of the reason he said he needed infinite money was because he was like, I'm going to save the world from all of its problems. Yeah, it's amazing. So there are a lot of things taken for granted in the book. But the two main things, I think, are that, one, crypto has utility and is good uh, for the world and is not sort of uh, overshadowed by its negative externalities or just like – and is actually innovative. He just assumes crypto is good and Sam is is financial genius. Yeah, insane Uh, assumption. Yeah, no exploration of that or like that he's just creating a new generation of gamblers – and then the other assumption that he makes is that, yeah, um, he's actually going to save the world, whatever that means, and that effective altruism and kind of the philanthropic and charitable intent is legit and actually effective. I mean, he even says at one point in the book, like, that Sam donate when he was on Jane Street and other places, he, he donated a lot of his money, but he donated to three organizations, two of which were founded by effective altruism people, mm-hmm. like... Just look at that. Like, he's giving money back to the people who sort of sponsored him. Um, like, there's a lot of opportunity there to invest, investigate corruption, in, in whether in crypto or, like, the, the EA world and all this stuff. And he just he just takes everything as evidence of their, Sam's good intent and of wow. the virtue of this world. That's that's fascinating because I feel like if, if you are at all a curious writer or even just somebody who's like, fuck, I want to just write, like, a juicy good book – 
it's so easy to like kind of interrogate the EA people because it's so both like cultish, mm. but also like on the face of it, just like absurd yeah. in yeah. so many aspects that like it could be easy to like, I mean, to, to approach it from with a critical lens. Um, yeah. And it would be palatable to an audience too, because I think most people who like learn about that stuff is like, this seems a little weird and like yeah. very, very much a culty kind of thing. Um, and yeah, Lewis seems to have like, None of that, like, real curiosity. I remember when uh, SBF got arrested uh, or indicted. Um, I believe Michael Lewis was with him in the Bahamas. And there were so many people pointing to that, like, oh, like, if Michael Lewis is, like, oh, you, you think that you're, like, not going to get arrested, but Michael Lewis is with you? It's like, what are you talking? He's not Batman, dude. He's fucking, <laughs> he's fucking Malcolm Gladwell with a different haircut. Like, <laughs> It's 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 crazy, and then like yeah, he he seems like he this this book seems to just be like pretty baldly um, uh, what what the young people call dick writing. Yeah. <laughs> well, he calls it a letter to the jury. I don't think he has that. Which line. is psycho. Yeah, I don't think that line's in the book, but he said it in interviews. He said it on sixty Dear minutes, Mr. like Policeman. that's jury tampering, I guess. Yeah. Um, or I mean, it came out the same day the trial started. Like the jury can't read the book. What are you talking about? And um, yeah. And he also uh, a phrase that's been quoted is he says in the book there's a there's a Sam sized hole in the world, which I think a speaks distinct for itself. shape, a yeah. distinct <laughs> shape for sure, and one that most people could use as a, a portal with a, a bit of uh, give on both sides. But uh, wow, a, a st- he, he. I think that you you tweeted something that like it takes him like thirty pages to refer to Sam as a child. Yeah, page. I think it's page thirteen. He calls him a ch- uh, child billionaire. Um, How old is Sam Bankman-Fried? Right now he's thirty-one. 31 when they years met, old. I think he was twenty-nine. Interesting. Yeah, twenty-nine. S- Sam is you know as world's uh, Sam Bankman-Fried, the world's oldest teenager. I yeah. will say his both his face and brain seem to be of child like child size. Yeah, childlike. You, you could call him immature or juvenile, but he is an adult male totally. from a very privileged background, well educated, even if he doesn't really care for books. And, you know, he was handling billions. Well, those Bayesian priors. Right, the Bayesian priors. He was handling billions of dollars in other people's money. Like anything about like, oh, this guy is just sort of an an awkward genius lost in the woods is just bullshit. I'm just a kid. Um, What is it about him that is like allowing people – because I mean I get that Michael Lewis, you know, he secured this deal to write this book before all the fraud shit came out. Right. Though people certainly had been examining and looking at and trying to raise the alarm about FTX yeah. and 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 stuff had already started cascading throughout crypto and other kind of obviously fraudulent schemes yeah. that also Alameda had ties to, right? Yeah. Like I so it on the one hand, it's like, okay, you secured the book before a lot of this stuff started happening, but on the other hand, like it was kind of already happening in mm-hmm. the yeah. in the general vicinity of this thing for some time. But at the same time, like I was reading this book, I got a decent way through and I'm just like, it seems like he at the very last minute was trying to figure out how the fuck to pivot it a little bit. Yeah. Because he was already planning just a kind of like preemptive hagiography and like preemptive sort of like canonization of this kid who's a man, like we point yeah. out, this criminal, alleged criminal. Um, but then at the end of it was just like, ah, fuck it. I'm not even going to pivot anymore. And I'm just going to go full in and just say that he's innocent. Yeah, and he does all this sort of back-of-the-envelope math. I mean, he jokes about it, too. He, it's a little jokey in places that, Frank. I mean, I don't think it's terrible or on the list of offenses. It's not that bad. But he's a little jokey in parts where I'm like, 
no, this isn't that funny. Or like, yeah. you need to take this a little more seriously. Because that's one of my problems with the book, actually, is like, look, you can make fun of people for investing in crypto if you want, but there are a lot of everyday people who did, for whatever reason, who bought in. Super and, Bowl ads. Yeah, and for understandable reasons, which we can go through, but, you know, a lot of desperate folks, and their money's stuck on the platform. Like, there are millions of people, and not every one of those is just some asshole crypto bro. Yeah. And there's been a lot of social consequences from that and financial sure. consequences for people. And those people are never considered at all in the book. So instead, kind of late in the book, he does this back-of-the-envelope math of, like, where did the money go? And it's not even really worth recapping because it's so haphazard. Mm. And also, like, there are people like the new FTX leadership, like, frankly, just some amateur, like, blockchain sleuths and investigators and some crazy people on Twitter who have done a lot of this work and even in more detail, and there's still a lot to be known, but, like, he kind of lands on this idea that the money is still there, basically, in this common bank account, and that, you know, things were moved around, but it was all Sam's money. That's what he calls it. It wasn't Sam's money, but that's what he calls it. And that it's kind of like, well, throw up your hands because people just don't get it, that it's, yeah, it's messy. Maybe there's no CFO or proper accounting records, but the money's there. You know, he's good for it. Isn't, because that was, that was Sam's defense that he's made a couple times, is that, like, he was basically denied access to that money to pay things back and make make things mm-hmm. whole by like the people that took over. I mean, this was this was Sam Bankman Fried's very public, uh, 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 not apology, but like excuses immediately after this is that he was basically locked out of being able to pay people back, and there was yeah. a sort of something like a coup that occurred. Yeah, which is also a little hard to sum because so Sam voluntarily signed um, a bankruptcy filing. You know, like 4 a.m. one one morning after a crazy week. Okay, but, but he's that's a tweaker. For him. Yeah, I'm going to say he's a tw- he's one of the most tweaked individuals in the history of the United he States. He sent me DMs once in a while, like four in the morning. Exactly, um, the man is up. Yeah, and so like, yes, I'm sure he's sending lots of he's things. He's up, yeah. and then he's up, and then he's up, and he's, he's up, up. Yeah. he's up. So he, but he claims that he immediately regretted it. But it's like you can't take that back. I'm sorry. Post nut clarity, not my problem. <laughs> exactly. It's like the blockchain; it's permanent. It's um, permanent. But um. He, you know, he claimed that an offer there. I think it was in the New Yorker article, maybe there, that an offer from Justin Sun, who is the shadiest person in crypto, probably. <laughs> yeah. But I he's th- he's the ambassador from he the was the, imba- the ambassador Granada? from Granada to the WTO, mm-hmm. and then the government changed. And I mean, he obviously bought his way in, and then the government changed in Granada, and they're like, nah, he's not our ambassador anymore. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. He, but he still calls himself His Excellency. He's hilarious, but he is probably the most like shady, incompetent person in crypto. He's still like a shitcoin billionaire on paper. But he apparently offered $400 million, according to one report. That's like nothing compared to yeah. what he needs. Uh, it's like 5% of what he needs or maybe even less. Um, so, But he claims he immediately regretted it. He says he tried to cooperate with the new leadership that John J. Ray, who is sort of like a like – a, a swing dick type, like JJ Ray. Yeah, it was like. I mean, it's in the name. It's yeah, like, I know. He's straight from Central Cash. Sure, he like, like somehow like was involved in like, Dallas. Like, <laughs> that's what he sounds like. He did kill yeah. Dallas. Yeah. yeah, totally. But uh, you know, he claims that John J. Ray and the new FTX leadership just ignored him and his entreaties to help. Yeah. But what, you could even understand that. I mean, they had cooperation from other FTX employees like Gary Wong, who they still didn't quite trust. It sounds like, but. Um, Sam, I think, thinks he somehow holds the keys to all this, or he might even hold the literal keys to some of these wallets, yeah. but um, he mm. was never going to fix it, um, and it wasn't going to get better. I mean, the hole just kept getting bigger. And that just that kind of sentiment just gets kind of repeated by Michael Lewis. I mean, it's interesting because, like, I mean, I'm not, like, a huge... 
I feel like I've only read a couple of his books. Um, you hate the big short. Well, I hate the movie. The book I don't love, but the movie I really hate, but the book I don't love. But I do think that Lewis has sort of usually, I mean, in the case of the big short, even in the case of um, the one about the high-frequency trading, the, I can't remember, Flash, Flash Boys. Boys. And somewhat with Moneyball, it's like he finds these sort of characters who are sort of like going against the grain, who are kind of, you know, in the case of the big short, it's like the the one, you know, trader who against all odds was going to, you know, uh, you know, trade against the wind, kind of, and because he knew that the whole the whole market was a sham and it was going to blow up at some point. Now, Lewis sort of declines to mention that that's really what allowed the great financial crisis to become great, as opposed to kind of contained. But that's again subject of another podcast. Um, but in this book, it's like I, I don't know if he. I guess he saw Sam as maybe one of those type figures, but it seems just completely an absurd to me. And I mean, I, I, you know, I know that you've spent, you know, the past years and some change, like really following Sam. And I, I just don't, I, 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 it makes me crazy because I'm like, this guy is not charismatic. He opens his mouth. He sounds like a fucking moron. He, everything he says He's, you know, even just down to the like, oh, well, I don't think Shakespeare, like Shakespeare's a bad writer because the odds are that someone will be better in the future. It's like just completely moronic. These anecdotes that Lewis puts in here about um, Sam's time at Jane Street, where he's just completely reckless Mm -hmm. and making these reckless bets in order to like basically punish his his colleagues at Jane Street when he's an intern there. It's like just this Guy is a fucking asshole. Like, he's yeah. fucking awful. Well, that, how does – how? it's so plain to me. It, it's – I agree with your assessment because I don't get the, the charisma or anything like that. There was some kind of bubble built up around him, I mean, maybe very financially driven that I mean, that's, contributed to this. Yeah. But one thing I will say, the Jane Street thing is interesting from the book. So in the book um, – Lewis has a lot of stuff about uh, Sam's time at James Street, this high-frequency trading firm when he was straight out of MIT. And they were all making bets with each other all day, the traders. And there was one guy there, for whatever reason, Sam says he's not even sure why, but he hated the guy. His name's like Asher or something. Yeah. Asher Asher Roth. Probably the (laughs) rapper. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And so basically one day, it's, it's not even worth getting into, but Sam somewhat cleverly engineers a series of bets where he can make the same bet over and over with other interns because they bet that you know, no intern would lose more than a, a certain amount of money that day. And Sam, he bet it with the guy he hates. And Sam then makes all these other bets with very favorable odds to um, other, with other interns and essentially like engineers a scheme where he can keep making this bet with other people, ensuring that the initial bet with the guy he hates uh, goes in his favor. So Basically, he's humiliating this guy that he doesn't like by mm-hmm. continually like telling other interns, who wants to bet this, who wants to bet that? Um, max pain, max gain. Yeah, and the one thing it shows is, yeah, this guy's kind of an asshole. I mean, there's some stuff in there about his depression. I, I mean, I think Sam, Sam is basically just has depression and like anhedonia. Like uh, It's briefly mentioned in the book. He's probably sociopathic in some ways. Like He says, mm-hmm. I don't feel empathy. I don't really care about people's feelings. Like, well, that would be... He's both. just kind of a jerk. And the thing you do come <laughs> away with at the end, like crime or no crime, like this type of person should not have been given so much money and power and responsibility. And he was completely reckless from, as a young man even, uh, or in his early 20s, mm-hmm. and like 
But that's part of the, the EA culture kind of is embracing of these huge risks because you see this very long-term potential benefit. It's, it's, it's bullshit, but it justifies it. It's so yeah. funny, too, because that, that way of viewing the world, too, would like naturally give somebody with such, let's say, uh, m- mental and pro- personality problems that Sam Bakeman Free clearly has, would give you something like a messianic complex, right? And like would give you this sort of outsized view of your world. And like once you start believing that, truly believing that, like, and and you inhabit that in a way that like I understand why why a schmuck like uh, Lewis might like think you're you're some some sort of real hero. I want to talk a little bit about some of the people that were close to Sam. So Sam Bankman-Fried was in a – well, I mean there's a as, – as, as an amateur student of alternative sexualities, there are I would say a few different types of polycules. And I would say SBF was engaged in a very Northern California-style polycule situation. Wait. What are the other kind of styles? Bushwickian polycules. Uh, I would say there's the type of rural polycule that mm. is practiced. I think the most dangerous one is the one in the Sunbelt. Give it to me. Oh, the Floridian polycule. No, Sunbelt, like Arizona, New Mexico. Oh, I like, would say that's a cousin you're in of the, Flor- the greater Phoenix area. Yeah. You work in insurance. Like there's just like, uh, you know. I would say I'm the reminded most, of the congresswoman with her. Of course, the, the ruffle, bag of ruffles the, the on the dresser. Next to some of the nastiest photo. photos to just, ever emerge. Oh, that is that is. They give you. They they transport you though to to the situation in a way that few photographs ever have. It's true. They're um, remarkable artifacts. I would say probably the most positive type of polycule is the Floridian. The aged Floridian polycule, obviously many gross, disgusting things there, but sort of the leathery beach style uh, polycule. That's the more kind of Lindy, like the retirement. Very old, yeah, key parties, the pineapples Kind of like the hot tub. Yes. A hot hot tub tub at the Howard Johnson. Like you all lost your virginity sometime when like post-sock hop but pre-Woodstock. And like you're now – just like yeah, you're in like a, a a sort of boiling hot tub filled with. See, fluids. I think the Sun Belt variety definitely has like more. Um, what are the little toys called? The sex toys. No, not sex toys. Um, I mean like the actual the little figures. Oh, uh, Funkos. Yeah, like it's much more. The Sun Belt one is like has its kind of like it's like an epic Funko. Vibe. I would say that is more the furry sort of like progressive type polycule formation, which would be more related to the Bushwick one, although the Bushwick one wouldn't have the Funko Pop. But the the I'm going to say the less wrong EA Yudkowsky style polycule of which you know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know what I'm talking about. See, listeners here might be like, these guys are talking out of their ass. No, I know what I'm talking I'm not Michael Lewis. He speaks Lewis. with authority. I understand polycules, although I am, of course, a practitioner of non-ethical monogamy. Um uh, but is the polycules that are practiced in Berkeley, for instance, of which Sam Bankman Fried was a member of? Famously, he was fucking and sucking with uh, Carolyn Ellison, who was the head of Alameda Research. Many people who've even sort of cursory knowledge of the SBF case know that that ended somewhat acrimoniously, and that Sam Bankman Fried, when he Sam Bankman Fried, when he was first indicted. He was it was allowed to go basically live at his parents' manse in uh in was it Palo Alto mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and was was giving mean, this is a nice house. Both his parents are very wealthy, some of it from FDX. 
uh, from <laughs> ill-gotten Sam funds. Uh, but he he was allowed to sort of free reign to like chill at home and like kind of hold court for various reporters until he gave Carolyn Ellison's diaries to the New York Crimes, and that to me is first of all as somebody who's had my diary read by multiple people. Uh, against my will is fucking I would say my worst nightmare would have the New York Times publish it but uh, that I think speaks to a certain amount of what do you think he was because he had his bail revoked for that yeah and I I was at that hearing also when he had his bail revoked Um, so he has a first amendment right of course when he was under house arrest to speak to the media there were some hearings where the the lawyer for Sam Cohen said um, basically said look it may not be a good strategy but it's a legal one and eventually the judge disagreed because they said, and the prosecution too. I like that, too. though. I do yeah, like that was, on, the honesty funny, of that. <laughs> like, I can't help that I have a fool for a client. Yeah, of, yeah, yeah. Um, but the judge said no. Um, I mean, the prosecution, of course, first disagreed. And then the judge said, well, he was exercising his First Amendment rights in the service of a crime. I mean, this is sort of similar to Trump in the RICO case in Georgia. It's like if you're, if you're just – when conservatives are like, oh, so now it's illegal to tweet or to talk to people? It's like, no, you're, you're talking in order to commit a crime. Commit a crime, Commit yeah. a crime and advance a conspiracy. So um, a reporter from the New York Times had gone over to uh, Sam's house, his parents' house, signed in, did it all – the way it's supposed to be. Put um, away his cell phone because you're yeah. not allowed to bring internet dev- connected devices to right. Sam. And um, and Sam showed him. I mean, this was pretty much confirmed in court, and I think it's evident from the article. No, it's the guy is the guy is. Full yeah, we know that he's now. a source. Yeah. And yeah. That, um, I think th- I thought one of the journalists confirmed it. No, he did. He did. Oh, he did. I, yeah, 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 I believe yeah, yeah. so. And and uh, and in, in, and in court, his lawyers as much acknowledge that they're actually going to provide the writings to the pro- to the defense. I mean, to the prosecution. I'm not sure what ended up happening with that, but. Um, and it was clear that he had access to some Google account or Google Drive or Google Doc, whatever, that Caroline had written all these personal things that w- it was rather like a diary, but, I mean, it was addressed to Sam pretty yeah. much. And, like she, like, she was writing for him. I don't know if this is honestly some EA-driven relationship It's Yeah, process, it's what it seems like. It's like a culty-style polycule. It does like. kind of seem like an act of submission, sort yes. of like. Or like she, it was all about. And, but when you get down to actual content, it was pretty typical, like, insecurities about work, about Sam. I mean, one thing you do learn from the Lewis book is that, as sort of expected, Sam was pretty indifferent towards Caroline. He told her he really liked her, but he wanted their relationship to be a complete secret. He did yeah. not want to be public in any way. Um, and, you know, he had some professional reasons he claimed, but it, it you know, it, it hurt her. Yeah. And when the article finally comes out over the summer, to be honest, like, Caroline Ellison seems a little sympathetic. I mean, you just yeah, kind absolutely. of feel bad that someone got exposed this way. Yeah, because she she seems like Caroline Ellison, I mean, strikes as whatever else you might say about her, a pathetic figure, right? Yeah, like, kind of in is, over her head, not way. treated well by the other people. While, while everyone else was was plundering the place for tens or hundreds of millions, I mean, there there some numbers have been revised, I think, but at one point it looked like she only got paid six million. Like she, I mean, only six million. But yeah. again, like people around her are taking. There's even a times gender that. gap yeah. in fraud. It's funny though. Like it did kind of seem to extend to the organization. I mean, this is sort of a misogynist uh, oh, subculture broadly, yeah. and certainly in tech. And like we know about about various issues, women being paid far less across the economy. But like <laughs> she's even sort of. I mean, this is why he's throwing her under the bus right now too. Is that. She, he's saying that she was in charge of Alameda and he wasn't paying attention because he trusted her to run it. But he lived with her. He was sometimes sleeping with her. 
He owned 90% of Alameda. He was involved. Um, and he also, one thing we heard in court was he had um, Alameda's balances open on one of his six screens at all times. So cool. That's how Liz is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, over the summer, the, the judge said, hey, you committed witness intimidation. This is like the third time you've done something that's really crossed the line. Um, and you're basically threatening other witnesses with exposing them somehow or trying to embarrass them. And that's when he went back to jail. That was early August and, and went, was sent to MDC in Brooklyn. Yeah, it's in, in where he has not been able to get vegan food and I believe might be having trouble getting some of his many medications that he spends his time Apparently so. I honestly wonder, like, how much is it just, like, this is a guy addicted to the Internet. Like, yeah. like we all it, are, it, but, no, like, but more than a, any of us. In a way that, like, you, we couldn't even fathom. And video games. Yeah, and video games. People are telling League me. League of I'm, Legends, I, right? I'm kind of hazy on some of the details, but apparently, like, there were things he was doing in the Bahamian prison, or, like, one reason why he might have agreed to extradition was, like, the internet access wasn't that good, and, like, he was trying to tell them, I don't know, there's this whole thing about how he's trying to get better internet access in in the Bahamas. Like, this guy needs to be online. (laughs) It seemed like from that, like, initial point, though, when he was arrested and then, you know, the kind of ensuing months, like... Uh, from it seems like it took him a very long time, if he's even there yet, for him to come to terms with the reality of the, of his own situation, yes. where he was just like, "Well, I, I'm in jail and I need internet. I need v-. like he couldn't understand. Like you are in jail. I think this question of seriousness actually is, is a valid one because, like, well, certainly throughout the whole life of his business, like there were no consequences. There was a real lack of kind of seriousness behind the enterprise and taking yeah. like life and risk and other people's money and other people's financial fate seriously um, or just even the fact that you have to tell the truth about certain things. And then in court, um, and especially how he handled himself while on house arrest, I mean, he had more than 400 phone calls with Michael Lewis. I mean, again, he's he's allowed to do these things, but really pushing the limits on some stuff. And then when he was remanded into custody, I mean, that seemed to be, I'm just, you know, reading him from, from afar, at that point about 20 feet away, but he went pale and, like, these huge marshals come up around him and tell him to empty his pockets, take off his tie, take off his shoelaces. His mom started crying, kind of running up there, and and was being told to stay back. That was one of those moments where it's like, dude, this is serious, and I don't know if you really have taken it seriously. Like, the judge told you to take this seriously a few weeks ago in another hearing. I saw you that day. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Yeah. and, like, it was, I mean, man, it was striking, and, like, this is a guy who's been as pampered as anyone can be for the first 30 infantilized years. Infantilized, even. Yeah, it, and, well, and all throughout the media, so infantilized. It, it, it's funny, like, not, like you know, talking about this, like, I, it, there is, like, I actually, part of me does understand why people call him a kid, but that's because he, he really does, in many ways, like, resemble, like, his personality, the way he acts, the way, like, he, he reacts to stuff. And it really, his inability to, I think, grasp his situation reminds me of, like, uh, children that I know, you know, yeah. like a, like a three, like a you know, I spent I spent a lot of time with a a, a three year old I'm friends with, and he is like, you know, it's like a child that like doesn't understand the consequence of his actions, like what you know, like hitting the button for something, like actually does something, uh, and and that's what it seems like his 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 big thing now, like oh I can't get vegan food in here, my brother, you are in. Jail. <laughs> uh, you are in jail. Yeah, you should be happy you're getting something that you can even call food. And maybe they, maybe they are making the a baloney. Lot of, they are making a lot of accommodations for them. It's like, so there are millions of documents. Um, you know, they're putting them on hard drives. They're giving them, a, like, an air-gap laptop. They were going to put them in a different facility in August where they thought he had better internet access, but he didn't want that, it seemed like. 
Um, and he has hours where he can meet with his lawyers at the courthouse, or I think there's another spot at the lawyer's offices, like under legal supervision, like a lot. I mean, there's a lot of this. And, but, yeah. he, you know, this is a guy who needs unfettered access to the computer and thinks that if only he has time to spend with these millions of documents, he can come up with an answer. But it's interesting, like, because I, I feel like just bringing this back to the media thing real quick, like, I feel like in the case of other you know, high profile, uh, like I'm trying to think, like eccentric CEOs or, we, you know, we had that whole rash of like eccentric weird personalities during the kind of big second wind dot com flush, I guess. I'm thinking mm. of specifically like WeWork of that time, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's been a lot of mea culpas, although not as many as there probably should be, of like some of the coverage that was given to those guys and some of the like lack of scrutiny that their kind of practices received and their kind of like, you know, the way that they were portrayed in the media or the way that um, they carried themselves and all this stuff. And we haven't really seen that much of it yeah. from uh, the coverage of Sam. I mean, I think that what's been so frustrating is like all of these people sort of presenting themselves as if they had always been savvy knowers yeah. and like savvy understanders that like all of this was bullshit from the beginning. Now that it's, you know, comfortable and easy to do yeah. so mm-hmm. when it just that just hasn't fucking been the case and this man has been you know both by his own creation but then the media going along with it and you point out that there was a lot of money involved and a lot of reason and incentives for people to do so and I understand that but like also then treating him like a child and continuing to kind of like carry this you know image of him as some like well, I didn't really, you know, I I just basically doing the defense's work yeah. of like, well, he just didn't know any better because he's, you know, a moron, it's, which I agree with, but not for those same reasons. It's very annoying. And, and you know, I, I sh- earlier I said it's like kind of fun hanging out with the other journalists, but, you know, I don't want to seem like too clubby or something because it is annoying sometimes when there are people there. <laughs> There's some good journalists there. There are also some people where it's like, look, I know you wrote a flattering profile of him a year and a half yeah, ago. Yeah, or like yeah. some of the TV people, frankly, I was talking to someone the other day, perfectly nice person from one of the financial networks, but they were saying like, yeah, what did we miss? Kind of like, oh, it just went over our heads or maybe I should have asked X, Y, Z. How, How could it go over your head? It's you know, fake. I, I don't have it out with these people necessarily at the time, of but course. it's just like, you know this whole industry is filled with bad actors and bullshit, right? Like why did you think Sam was any better or that like, his shitcoin empire was real, um, or that he wasn't it's just paying celebrities to be his friends, coins. yeah, and that he wasn't just doing gambling offshore, or that Tether, his his most mm-hmm. important business partner, is mm-hmm. is probably the shadiest company in crypto. Tether doesn't appear once in the Michael Lewis book, by the way. Yeah, of course. Um, and so it's like these easy, these easier questions, I think, or like the basic questions, which should always be focused on like the money, where is it coming from, where is it going, that kind of thing were never really asked, and now you have the, this sort of cohort of journalists who are just like, okay, we'll just keep writing the story and, and write about the downfall now, but we don't really have to do much of a serious mea culpa or self-examination. And that's the problem also with the Michael Lewis book is mm-hmm. that he's incapable of that. Maybe it could have been something very interesting if he's like, wow, I thought one thing, but then in yeah. the stream this crazy thing that happened. That could have been an interesting yeah, book. Yeah, maybe Absolutely. I need to reassess things, but he, he just doesn't even do that. Like, uh, There are a few good examples like, People who are widely known as at least not the most virtuous people in crypto are like treated as uh, sort of heroes or spurned colleagues in the book. One of them is Dan Freeberg, who's a very important lawyer from the company. He's treated sort of as this voice of, of reason. 
Um, and we don't really need to go into all of his background, but there are other like specific events that Lewis just excuses. Like there was one point where um, $200 million was invested in FTX from uh, Sequoia, which was one of their right. biggest investors and boosters. And then Sam sent it back and invested through Alameda in a Sequoia fund, $200 million. I yeah. mean, that's really weird. That kind of, I, say my, I say in my review, that looks like money laundering. Like, yeah, I was going to say, that's sort of classic money laundering. Yeah, you don't take money from an investor and then send it back through your other company into another part of your investor's fund. <laughs> like, that. no one does that. And, uh, well, he, criminals do that. Yeah, Lewis brushes it off as, oh, they didn't need the venture capital. And there are a lot of moments like that where it's like, no, dude, like there was something there, and you're yeah. completely ignoring you admit, it. You gloss it over. Yeah, one thing I, I do want to mention, just if you don't mind, uh, don't. is if um, – so there was this lawsuit in 2019 by a guy named Pavel Pagodin, and this is – if you don't – I'm putting out the word. If anyone knows anything about this guy, I'd love to talk to you, but – he sued – he was a lawyer who kind of did have a side uh, – make a pretty good living for a while in suing the crypto companies. He sued BitMEX, which was later proved mm-hmm. to be breaking all kinds of laws. And he would form these companies to kind of sue crypto companies. This happens a lot in, in, in the corporate world. And he sued FTX early on, uh, I believe in 2019. All the same stuff, market manipulation, Alameda special privileges, or, you know, Alameda kind of manipulating the market too on FTX. And it was – it was basically he was paid off. It was settled. Uh, it's been described in some recent court documents and in that civil complaint against the parents as basically Dan Freeberg at Joseph at Joe Bankman's suggestion m- paid this guy off and made it go away. Uh, Pavel Pogodin died last year in his, supposedly in his villa in the Dominican Republic. There's a death certificate going around. I, I confirmed with someone that he is dead, but like. You know, there's a lot of weird deaths in crypto. It could have been mm. a natural death. But also, like, I just want to hear about, like, this guy knew in 2019. Like, yeah. er, and then he se- died. Yeah, you can bracket his death for a second if you want. But, like, people knew. And, like, that yeah. was a lawsuit that was reported on a little bit. But um, And all the kinds of things that he was calling out, whatever wow. his sources were, um, are basically the same things that they were doing pretty much the whole existence of the company. I mean, FTX was started in 2019. This was not a legitimate business by any means, at pretty any much point. ever. Yeah. yeah, And Alameda may not have even been in the two years before that that existed. I mean, there's stuff in the Lewis book about, oh, yeah, Sam was in Hong Kong trading billions of dollars in crypto on exchanges that let you be under pseudonyms or completely anonymous, meaning no KYC AML, no know your customer anti-money laundering provisions or protocols. Like, okay, that's for a reason. Like, he's doing all this stuff in secret, and, and there's constant waving away and excuses. And it, yeah, it's basically journalistic malpractice. I'm pretty shocked by it. There's a line in the book that it's actually, I think it's in that portion, the Jane Street portion, where they're talking about that insane, he's talking about that insane kind of bet that um, that Sam was running, trying to kind of like humiliate his colleague. And he says, Sam says to Michael Lewis in it, he says, people get so obsessed with $3 if you frame it correctly. And I read that and I was like, Lewis, that's the book. Like he just fucking gave you the framework for the book. He said it. It's like the fucking meme. Like he admitted it. He said it. It's right there. He literally just framed the whole thing. And it's just whoop, right on by. Like, oh, this crazy, the crazy kind of assholes that Jane Street is like creating. It's like, no, dude. I mean, yes, but. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, which uh, is also, by the way, like Jane Street was profiled in in his book on high frequency trading. So yeah. it's like very weird that 
and he he portrays them very like critically. Yeah, the whole, some of the focus <laughs> of the book is strange too, because like he has a whole chapter about Sam's assistant Natalie Tien, who mm, I, I yeah. met briefly and dealt with, but like. This is no disrespect to her, but it was just kind of odd to place her as a main character, and especially early on, because she doesn't necessarily have a big influence. She's always just sort of chasing after Sam because he's, you never know when he's going to show up to something or if he's ever going to actually sleep in his hotel. Mm-hmm. Um, and But I found that odd. Like, I just didn't really understand what, that order, why she's given pride of place when, like, th- she definitely has a role to play, but she wasn't involved in important business decisions or anything like that. Um, so it kind of feels like, yeah, he just sort of wrote the book that he could quickly turn out and that felt comfortable for him, I think. Mm. I, I want to ask, we got to wrap up soon, but I want to ask, you mentioned Joseph Bankman. Yeah. And I, we do have to talk a little bit about SBF's parents, Stanford law professors, Joseph Bankman and Barbara Freed. And as that recent civil suit has shown, like they, we already knew that they were connected with the company, especially dad. Um, but uh, it appears that their penetration of FTX was possibly deeper and harder than we might have even <laughs> what uh, than we might have even suspected from the start. And that there was a part of the civil lawsuit where it's like. I think it's it's dad uh, um, emailing with son t- about some oh promised compensation yeah. and being like, don't make me get your mother involved. In yeah, it's so embarrassing. And, and it's like asking for like tens of millions of dollars, yes. right? And it's, it's, it's <laughs> astounding. I have no respect for— well, It was after his suit company closed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I have no respect for uh, s- you know Stanford, any higher— Especially higher Stanford. Education. Yeah. Uh, but the debasement mm-hmm. that the the SBS parents put them through, themselves through, really, like how they debase themselves, really lays lays out how pathetic and cretinous these individuals really are. I mean, tell us about mm-hmm. what the fuck is going on with SBF's freak parents here. Well, part of the rise of SBF and the playing of the media has been that, oh, he comes from this great family. His parents are eminent legal scholars at Stanford. They are somehow very concerned with ethics in their scholarship and are very assumed to be very virtuous and well-regarded people and progressive fundraisers and things like that. Um, in fact, people would say like, oh, Sam, we have to take for, you know, take it for granted that like Sam is an ethical person. You can't criticize him because his parents yeah. raised him in this Kevin way. Kevin O'Leary, the Shark Tank guy, said— well, Let's not get crazy. But okay. um, <laughs> said, I think he even said in my interview with him that like, oh, he came from this great family. And like, you know, and of course Sam rose to the meritocracy, MIT. Like just sort of the whole elite educational and Silicon Valley backdrop was supposed to somehow speak well of him. The parents— um, they um, were involved in the company very early on. They joked that it was a family business. I mean, the mom, there's an email from the mom where she says, like, we're partners in crime, though not the criminal kind or something like that. Mm. Not a thing you want in the email. Exactly. You want no, 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 no. True on rule number two. Always make references to crimes you're doing <laughs> with the name crime in the email. But in then quotes, saying though, not, cr- not crime. Not yeah. crime. But to say it's not a crime. Yeah. Well, yeah. In the, in, <laughs> quick side note, in some of the pretrial hearings, they they were talking about the fact that the company used Signal and auto-delete messages on Signal. And the prosecution was basically saying there was a deliberate destruction of records and using of Signal, and Sam ordered it. Um, the, the defense started saying, well, they may have used auto-delete messages on Signal, but Sam didn't order it. 
And now all the witnesses are saying, like, yeah, Sam told us all to do that. But there seemed to be this assumption on the defense's side that the records wouldn't be there. There are tons of screenshots and emails yeah. and all <laughs> kinds of things. Like, just because you use audibility on Signal doesn't mean no, there's nothing there or people aren't keeping records. But so we see a lot and like the, the civil complaint, which is from the new FTX leadership, that John J. Ray guy, who's the new CEO against the parents trying to get money back, says that the parents. Um, well, first of all, there when yeah, Sam's dad emails him and says, a uh, little problem here. I'm getting paid two hundred thousand dollars. I thought it was going to be a million. I'm going to have to talk to your mother. And so he got that. Then they got a, a gift of about ten million dollars, which he, he said in an email, this will let your mother retire. Yeah. Uh, he got about $5 million or more for Stanford, where he could just sort of splash around to some of his allies and colleagues at Stanford. Uh, Stanford Arrests. claims Need to be arrest. Go on. <laughs> Stan- War crime tribunal. Stan- <laughs> uh, Stanford claims that they're giving that money back because, of course, they're, they're guiltier than sin or richer than sin. Um, well, both. And, and very notably, they bought the parents. I mean, Alameda spent hundreds of millions of dollars on real estate. And another thing that's kind of brushed off in the Michael Lewis book is just yeah, like something absolutely. they did. Um, mostly this guy, Ryan Salem, who was kind of like the smooth operator of the company. He was a CEO of a subsidiary, and he, he was the, re- the Republican political kind of liaison. And, and he was just like more of like a cool guy than Sam, like looked good in a suit, could talk to people. And he went around and bought real, all the real estate. Real baseline there. Yeah, I know. But he went around <laughs> and bought all the real estate and then like kind of dipped off to D.C. and also bought a lot of real estate. In his, in, he, he owns a bunch of restaurants in his hometown in Massachusetts. And it's sort of a local celebrity there. But so he bought all this real estate, including a $35 million, I think it's been uh, pushed up to $35 million, um, apartment in the nicest uh, resort, private resort in uh, the Bahamas. And they were all living there. So, like, of course, if anyone tells you that Sam was somehow, like, living an ascetic life or sleeping on a beanbag chair, they bought the nicest real estate in the Bahamas and flew private and any other number of luxurious items. But they bought the parents a $16 million beachside apartment. The parents signed for it. Again, these are elite lawyers or elite law scholars. They claim that they thought what they were signing was giving um, ultimate, making the ultimate beneficiary FTX. Um, and, um, but they signed a deed saying that they owned it. And then they started charging things like, I believe, landscaping and furnishings to FTX. And they called it our house. So... Um, like, there's no ambiguity here. Wait, they're like, we're elite lawyers. Oh, we didn't know that we were signing a deed? It's like, crazy. I'm not an elite lawyer, but I'm pretty sure that I could look at a piece of paper and be like, that's a deed to a house. Well, Barbara Freed is supposed to be an expert in corporate ethics. Uh, Joe Bankman is an expert in the tax code and simplifying it, and also offshore tax shelters. Like, it is. So I do think that Sam learned a thing or two from his dad, but my, just not what people think. Yeah, my, uh, I've... I've talked to some people who joke a little bit, but it's not entirely far-fetched that somehow the parents are sort of more masterminds or enablers than one might think. I mean, certainly they are complicit, and I wouldn't be surprised if there were some kind of charges, especially when the be so if there's a second funny. set of charges against Sam next year, which there might be, including the the bribery of Chinese officials and the. Uh, I gotta say that's a pretty cool charge. Bribery of Chinese officials Uh, and all the the political corruption (laughs) stuff. Just as far as charges go, absolutely. That I mean, if you're gonna just pay forty million to a Chinese official to unfreeze some crypto, you know, that's the kind of international criminality I can get behind. You you (laughs) could see, you could see the 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 Bankman freed parents getting busted too. Yeah, I don't know. That that means they go to jail for the rest of their lives. But like, there's written evidence in emails in that civil complaint where. 
Barbara Free tells Nishad Singh, an executive of FTX, oh, you should make a, a, a huge donation to her group, Mind the Gap, um, and so it's not coming directly from Sam or FTX. And he did that. And then he pleaded guilty um, yeah. earlier this year or the end of last year. So I don't know. It's like all but charged pretty much. Like it's all there. Yeah. Um, so it definitely seems like they're in trouble. I mean, it would be hard to imagine them testifying against each other or their son or anything like that. But Well, you don't have to testify against your wife, right, or husband? They, I don't know if they're married. I've been trying to – What? I, someone must know. But there's an article in Bloomberg where it says – they initially didn't get married because... Non-ethical monogamy? They actually thought they were signing... They thought it was a marriage certificate, but it was a deed that they yeah, were signing. it was a conservatorship, actually. Wow. Yeah. So Am they, I they, they were like, as long... This was like many years ago, like, they said as long as their gay friends couldn't get married, they wouldn't. It's unclear Classic. if they eventually did. I think they might have, but... Yeah, Newsom passed that one real quick. I mean, that yeah. was quite early on. So, it's... Cl- the, and I think the thing that we need to take away from this is, like, greed is pretty universal, like... And virtue is not inherent or just something you say mm-hmm. that you have. Like, people get greedy. If you have a billion dollars or in free money or in, if infinite money falls in your lap, people will find a way to spend it. Some people sleep on a beanbag chair but then fly private and buy in- insane real estate. Um, and the parents are no better, I would say. Um, yeah. I mean, their world is supposed, is crumbling, I think, in some ways because they're eventually they're going to be persona non grata at Stanford. They've stopped teaching there. Some of their friends are still behind them and stuff like that. But, like, this is kind of how a person's life unravels, and they're very focused on keeping their son out of prison. But, like, there's there's no world in which they are distant from this. Yeah. Um, even if they don't eventually face legal liability, they are being sued, and they were part of this. They, they took paychecks. Yeah. One final question. Well, 1.5 final questions. First of all, how much longer is this trial supposed to last? It could go up to six weeks. Um, so it's long. Like this could go up to around Thanksgiving. What is your prediction? That was – so it's two questions. I think guilty. I mean at least on some of the charges. It, it's just – it can be pretty clear cut if they explain it well to the jury. Final question. Is Sean McKelvey going to be arrested? <laughs> I think next year there's already scheduled a second trial. Again, there hasn't been an indictment for that trial, but the judge put it on his calendar for March of 2024. That's when we expect the bribery, the political corruption stuff. I mean, if Sean McElwee is going to face criminal action or be subpoenaed or anything like or that. Or turn state's witness. Or, I mean, it would be very much to his advantage. He's a probably fucking snitch. Um, that's when it would happen. I mean, he was involved in the political operation. That's when you would hear from probably a gay bankman freed in some mm. form. Uh-huh. The brother. The goat. Um, what's that? The, the, we call him the vaccine goat, where I'm from. <laughs> the most vaxxed man in the, the world. Probably, probably one of the most vaxxed dudes out there. Yeah. 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 Oh, my God. Yeah, him and Travis um, so, Kelsey. Like, this thing is so far from over. Like, the litigation is going to last a lifetime. Yeah. There's, I, I mean, there's going to be some new lawsuits, too. They, they also, like, have this huge kind of, like, they combined all a bunch of lawsuits against FTX and their right. and their partners into something called an MDL. It's like a big blob of litigation. Um, so like, there's gonna be so much money made by the lawyers, yeah. of, which of course sucks. And I, I honestly think some of the lawyers are probably gonna get sued too. Like, Sick. it's just gonna be a, a huge cash grab and well, when a lot of billions of dollars go missing, One yeah, billion? a lot of people come out of the woodwork trying to figure out, you know, how they can get some of that yeah, back. Yeah, they they want to taste. Well, I think I speak for everyone in this room when I say if if you're holding 
Keep holding. <laughs> diamond hands, I'm telling baby. you, diamond hands. I understand <laughs> recent lamestream fake news has come out saying NFTs have lost 96% of their value as a whole since that whole craze started. Guess what? You're in the 4%. You're special. I understand that you might have paid a lot of money for a crypto punk. I understand that it is a JPEG in your hard drive right now. But what that actually is, what that represents is the future for you and your beautiful fucking family. I love you. I think that – I mean I know that I know that Jacob's too – he's a journalist, so he can't say stuff like this. But there is a real future in crypto and <laughs> NFTs in these sort of distributed networks, Web3 kind of things. And that I'm telling you, all this stuff aside – Moses had to part the Red Sea. He had to leave Egypt in order to bring his people to the promised land. And that is sort of what we're going through right now. That's the trials and tribulations that crypto is going through. So, Jacob, I understand that you are a journalist. You can't say this kind of stuff. But invest now. Invest now. Facts. Facts. There you go. (laughs) Thank you, Jacob. Jacob. And we'll see you next time. Thanks a lot. Jailman Jail did, didn't really pick up. Didn't really catch on, but no. you know, you'll get him next time. Jailman Jail. I think it's very fun. I am feeling neglected in our relationship. I feel as if you have spent more time with other men than me. That was. Isn't that my prerogative of secondary? Yeah, I guess that's true. I don't know how they work. I don't know how it works either. Also, wait, so can I be your secondary, but then you're my tertiary? Yeah, I think so. Right? Like, because I think there's, it's not a harem have... situation. Like, we're supposed to be on equal playing fields, if you allegedly, have, if you even have, though like, everyone knows in the real world that's not how it works. Like, your secondary probably has their own primary, right? Yeah. Like, say that, like, me— Oh, I see. You know what I mean? Like, all right, More my, fractal. My, yes. My, my primary is Pamela Anderson. And but my secondary is uh, it's going to go with uh, Father Coughlin, the mm-hmm. famous anti-Semitic 1930s radio commentator. Sure, Coughlin would have his own. Like I would, Coughlin's I, got his own gig. He's that's got his not own gig. Se- that's separate from Pamela Anderson. Obviously, exactly. Like he might not even mess around. He might only get with Pamela through me. I see. Uh, but or like, but wait, Polycule isn't like. But that's yeah, that's more. You're not you're not all doing it together. Yeah, you're just sort of like it, you're just going. You're just having multiple dates monogamously with I different people. Am I just talking about? Right? Am I, talk, I think you're talking about threesomes. There's Paul. No, well, that's just like that's an act rather than a lifestyle. Uh, well, no, for but some. there's poly. There's polycule, polyamory, and what's the other one where you're like? There's like another one. Right? Oh, um, not an open relationship, but there's like a th- another th- one. <sighs> Thruple? Thruple? No, Thruple. That's a polycule, but it's just small. But you know? it, can't you be in a polycule, but then you're like, this is what I'm saying. Yeah. Let's take a Thruple. Yeah. Which I understand people want to say Thruple, Tom and Di- I just won't do it. Tom Dick and Harry. I like Thruple better because it's funny. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you have a Thruple, and you've got, let's say, a gal named. Katie mm-hmm. in the middle. Ooh, and then in the throuple is also she's seeing someone named Gary. Oh. And also someone 
named George. Uh huh. Now, here's my question. Gary and George, are they seeing each other too? Or I is it just what Katie's doing? I, here's the thing. Like, I think if like if it's you've got like an MMF thruple there, mm-hmm. you gotta be rocking with the dick a little bit if you're one of the fellas. You know what I mean? Like you can't just what do you But couldn't Gary but, uh, just you, be seeing other like another couldn't Gary just is, be seeing Linda and Gary not fuck seen, with what's the other It depends doing? on if you have a wait, so, sorry. Sub Dom relationship. Because what if Katie is a like a she's like the alpha lady and no, the like GGs are like I know, but like Gary and and, and what was the other one? Gwen or the guy? No, no, Gary, Gary and Gavin. And- the two guys are like more sub to to Katie. They like might not go and get any other uh, tertiary secondary uh, lovemaking things. Like they're sort of in. Like I guess what I'm saying is, couldn't there just be one long link as opposed to like a kind of like, like a centipede total? I think so. Like we should dedicate the rest of the entirety of our podcast to, to figuring this mystery. out, but also not asking anybody, <laughs> ask anybody, and just, just us have... walking through, and then walking through logical, kind of like possible logical explanations, but then also forgetting who we're talking about. Yeah, exactly, Gary Re- Ga- remaking up their names, so it's going to be Gary, Katie, and Garth. Garth. Yeah. And Garth is seeing Linda now, not Ooh. Gary. Gary is seeing Tanya. Interesting. But so couldn't Gary be seeing Tanya and Katie and Katie is seeing Garth? No, because I think you have your primaries. <laughs> They're her primaries. My thing is I want a show called What's All This Then? Where I walk <laughs> in on people's like you have to basically be in the act of like a relationship thing. And I walk in and I say, what's all this then? What's all this then? And I have you explain to me while I'm only half listening exactly yeah. the parameters but of your But then you have to tell me and you, it, in and such a way that I can understand it and yeah. figure it out. And then if I have questions, that's where the podcast goes. Yeah, because I got a lot of questions. I will say this. I do think a lot of podcasts, the premise is, what's up with that? That's kind of ours. Well, ours is kind of like what's look at that. But a lot of <laughs> a lot of podcasts are just like, "Hey, what's up with that?" And then they go on a debunking of of what's up with that. So I feel like it could work. There's a few different kinds of podcasts. There's a what's up with that. There's a check this out. There's a mm-hmm. you ever think about. And then Classic. there's a uh, let me tell you about. Yeah, yeah. We're kind of a different one where it's like we're like uh, check out this freak. Mm. Yeah, you sort can't. Of a, yeah, you love saying the word freak. Oh, well, yeah, it's kind of a freak show. Yeah. And with that being said... Certainly I'm, hosted by one. Wait, no, yep, by one whose name <laughs> is Liz. Uh, and it's kind of like a yin-yang thing where, like, the, you got a freak, you got a normal person, and then the line down the middle is a little bit of both. That's why they call him the black and white cookie himself. Young Chomsky, who I'm outroing first, the producer for this show. Young Chomsky. My name, of course is one of the top practitioners of polyamory. My name is Brace Belden. <laughs> I'm Liz, and this has been Drew Anon. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.